And we are live. Welcome everybody to another uh, installment of Coffee Chat. Uh, you probably noticed immediately that I am not Sarah Murdoch. Uh, Sarah is gallivanting around Europe somewhere uh, doing social media. So I'm sure some of you are following her. I'm Reed Cohen, her collaborator in, uh, in some tours at Imprint Tours. And uh, so for our Coffee Chat today, um, our guest is Luciano Ianotti. Luciano, how are you today? Fine. Hi, everybody. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, very, very happy to be here and excited to um, share today with you. Excellent. Okay. So this is our Patagonia week. Uh, we've got a really great lineup of programming this week. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Luciano and his good friend Javier are going to be doing some Argentine grilling for us, some barbecue. Um, that's something, by the way, that's featured on the tour that we do of Patagonia. So um, that will be a nice preview of that. Um, that'll be this same time tomorrow. Um, and um, on Wednesday, we're going to have uh, Luciano back to talk to us. He's, he's a passionate photographer and a birder. So we're going to sort of have a little more focused conversation on Wednesday about those things. Uh, we also have Osha Danielson, who is a, a, a Swedish colleague of ours who has lived in Buenos Aires on and off over the years. And she's going to be talking and hopefully demonstrating some Argentine tango for us on Wednesday. So, so Wednesday will be fun. Thursday, uh, we've got Luciano again. He's going to do um, the PowerPoint presentation of Patagonia. Uh, and I'm going to be sort of co-hosting with him and firing questions at him. So we're going to get the visual side of this week of Patagonia uh, on Thursday. So um, mark your calendars if you're interested to participate in those things. As always, if you have comments or questions, go ahead and use the chat function. I will check periodically to see if there's anything coming in. And uh, of course, sometimes uh, technology prevents me from seeing those things. I will always loop back at the end and see if there were questions or comments that uh, that you were really expecting a, a reply to. Um, definitely, we will get to that, maybe not uh, while we're uh, broadcasting live here. So enough of the nuts and bolts. Um, let's jump right back in here with Luciano. So um, Luciano, you've, you've done the same job that I do, uh, guiding groups around, uh, in your case, in Argentina and Patagonia. Um, how did you get started in the travel business? How did that happen for you? Well, um... I was born in Argentina in the 80s, and just a few days after I was born, my father took the family to live to Ecuador, and I grew up right, uh, right there um, on, uh, on his farm. Um, with the time, I just kept growing, it was uh, obvious, <laughs> and um, once I ended school, I just went out to find some uh, job. I started in a coffee place, and I think one day having the worst table of my life, a uh, guy just said, you're very patient, you speak English? Yes, sir, I do. Okay, come tomorrow to my office. I have something to offer you, and it was tourism. So mm -hmm. I start in one of the biggest tour agencies in Ecuador doing transfers and little services, but with the time, um, they saw something I didn't, and fortunately, they start to give me a lot of training and stuff. With the time, I turned to be a naturalist guide. Um, and I came back to 
my beautiful Argentina and uh, well, I make my naturalist, naturalist guide instruction. Um, so this is how everything um, starts. Like all I do when I was a child on my father's ranch as a game, today is my profession. Very nice. By the way, I, I should have started with, tell everybody what that is we're looking at behind you. Well, this beautiful mountain down here is the Cerro Torre. Uh, it was very famous. Uh, it has a lot of stories, like uh, the first climber who was Italian, Secha de Maestri, he just went up to the hill with Tony Eger, and Tony Eger had an accident and he died and the camera was with him. So they never could prove they really went up to the Cerro Torre. So because of him, they baptized the next, um, they call it Torre, Eger, Heron, and Standard. This one. <laughs> um, well, with the time they found the boat in the stuff and this guy, Sechari Maestri, he went up again, uh, this time with a compressor to just leave evidence that he was there. And when he came down, he left the compressor up to show people I was here. So it's a great story. And that makes it one of my favorite places in Patagonia. Uh, when I wake up every day, I have a huge print of that peak just in front of me. And I just wake up every day wishing I could be there again. So just waiting for the next season, hoping Mr. COVID let me be there with my groups. Yeah. Fingers crossed. So, and that's in Torre del Paine's uh, National Park there in Chile, right? Well, no, this is in Argentina. It's okay. very, it's a few kilometers away of, let's say like you have Torres del Paine, then you have a bit north the Moreno Glacier. And uh, by car you do from the Calafate city to the north, something like 215 Ks to an area right. named El Chalten. Okay. So you have the Fitzroy mountain, which is the highlight of the area. And then you have this guy. Right, okay. I, yep, I was out of my reckoning a little bit there. So, no so spectacular mountain ranges and, and peaks to see there. And I'm, uh, I've not yet been to Patagonia. I'm so excited to be bringing groups down next year and seeing some of these places that, that have been in my travel imagination for many, many years. So, um, and, and uh, Luciano, just as, a, just as a curiosity for me and for our viewers, sure. maybe uh, you've got a very Italian name. What, is there some connection there? Is there some heritage? What's, uh, what's the story with that Italian name? Well, uh, um, my mother and only four of my grandparents were Italian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my father was born in Argentina. Sorry. Right. My father was born in Argentina. And my mother was Italian. Okay. So is, is, there a, is there a big Italian expatriate population in Argentina? Well, yes. During uh, the very late 1800s and beginning of 1900s, Argentina was growing as a big nation in that moment. And uh, they were offering lands for people from Europe to come to work to the country. So the immigrants we were having were mostly from uh, Italy, places like Germany, uh, maybe Russia, um, Poland, I mean, Polish people, um, even North Americans used to migrate to um, Argentina in the very early 1900s. Okay. <clears throat> And then you mentioned that you got your start in, in Ecuador. So I didn't, if maybe I just faded out there for a minute, but what's, the, what's that story? You, you, you said you were happy to return to your beloved Argentina. So, and it sounds like that's, you are Argentine, that's where you're born. So how did you end up in tourism in Ecuador? How did that happen? Well, 
Um, I'll tell you, like, um, my father had to move there. He's got a very great opportunity and he made it very well. So um, I grew up there and in the time I end school, I did a little backpacking. And with the time I start to, I was looking something, you know, different to work. And because I didn't have a profession yet, I was just ending school and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I used to look for a job in airlines or places related to travel, but I never thought I was going to do my life in tourism. Right. My plan was to be a farmer, just like my father was. Mm -hmm. But the moment I've been in touch with uh, taking people to national parks and because of the little experience the ranch gave me when, when I was a child, I turned to be a guide for um, protected areas and, and those kind of places. So for me, it was uh, like a great opportunity. I took it and I made my whole career up there. So I'm already 21 years working in tourism business. Wow. Well, you must have started when you were 10 years old, though. You don't you don't even have any gray in your beard here, Luciano. I you know, maybe just a little just a teeny bit. So well, you, uh in fact, I shaved myself since I was 13. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you can imagine. So uh um I was the only one of my of 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 you know in the school of my course who used to to know how to shape and i used to go there with paper or with some cards and stuff <laughs> and was like kind of funny yeah you know i i just was having a conversation yesterday this is disclaimer this has nothing to do with travel i was saying you know as boys when we're growing up we want to be men so badly we want to be grown up we 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 even before we really need to shave we're we're you know trying to shave or pretend that we're shaving and stuff and then you spend the whole rest of your life wishing you didn't have to you know so be, be, that at least that was my experience right so yeah anyway well, let's, let's get let's get back people to say i lose Sorry, some hair man. and i say i lose it just from the bros to the top the rest i'm all hair. <laughs> that's right okay yeah um, all right. So um, obviously, so so language was a, a, a door opener for you. The fact that you spoke English. Um, what's the story there? Did, was that just something that you were interested in in school or did it was there some other influence that uh, helped you to develop your really good English? Um, well, one of the biggest issues for me when I was a child was studying. I really hate studying. I did have all problems you can imagine in school. I, I was never the bad boy. I mean, I used to have great behavior but just don't get me to study because that was not for me in the moment um once we did a trip to the states i was 14 and one day i, I start to talk with my father like complain to him and says why you send me to do all this stuff and he says because you speak english i only had the grammar of school i say i don't and then he says why are we doing all of this if you wouldn't speak english and then realized that i had english in myself, I mean, the little things I, I learned in school, I had it somewhere inside me. So after that, I came back and I started to realize that the only, one of the only things I was good in was English. And then I started liking it. Mm -hmm. um, with the time when I started working uh, tourism um, was a challenge for me. I mean, I said, oh, all right, I don't think I will ever study English again. So the English I have, I have to make it better somehow. So then I uh, um, taught myself 
to copy. So whenever I hear expression, a way to pronounce a word or, 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 you know, I just try to copy myself. So if I am in a city for one week, immediately like myself adopt the accent or the way they pronounce the words and immediately um, I can do it. So it's something who nowadays is automatically. And I can tell that I use in a normal day of my life, I use more English than Spanish because all the agencies I work with, they are from Australia, from England, uh, they are all English speaking. So for me, it was been a great asset. I see. Okay. Well, that's interesting. You know, it's a, uh, of course, uh, I've been, I've been doing these sort of uh, interviews for people all around the world. And there's, there's some common themes that, that English is a, a key to opening many doors. It is certainly the, the global language now and increasingly so. Uh, so we monoglot Americans that only speak English are just lucky, I guess. Um, I, I, I certainly feel lucky that I've had a career in travel um, I, I speak German reasonably well. I would not fluent, right? But I can, I can muddle through a conversation. I can manage a tour and even less so with Italian. I speak just a smattering of Italian, but I, I wouldn't want to speak it in front of you. <laughs> but anyway, and, and yet I've been able to be successful because English, English is the language of travel. So um, it is. So, okay, um, I'm looking down at my questions here. Um, was, was there anybody that was a role model for you going into travel or I, I know it sounded sort of serendipitous, of course, but was there anybody that uh, had an influence on you? Well, uh, everything happened with no planning. Um, at the beginning, I just took opportunity to do a job. I was still thinking, what am I going to do of uh, my life? But with the time I got, um, you know, in my free time, if I was looking for the TV, uh, I grew up looking to Jacques Cousteau or David Hattenborough and lots of nature documentaries. And I grew up dreaming I could do that. And I never saw it as a possibility in my life. It was like, it was very far of my possibilities and I never thought I could get in touch with something like. Uh, with the time when I had a... Um, uh, let's say a training for taking a tourist to the Galapagos Islands. I was doing all the operation for uh, some agencies like Travel Collection and Kone. Um, just, you know, the operation to the airport and sometimes even just letting them into the Galapagos and return, uh, just like taking the flight with them and uh, returning with the other group. Um, so they get me a training with a guide who, uh, whose name is uh, Marcos Cruz. He was a climber and um, he wrote lots of books of mountains of Ecuador with great photos. So when I saw him teaching and, um, uh, you know, giving all the information I was needing, I have this thing myself like, wow, I want to be like him. Mm -hmm. And um, with the time I could be in touch with him, I bought some of his books. Uh, one day I could call him and, and thanks him. And uh, that was it, like the last contact. And then I just made my life going up uh, with tourism. It, I can tell it just happens in my life. But once I saw the opportunity, I knew that was for me and I took it on. Yeah. People always say to me, oh, you're so lucky to do what you do. And I say, well, there was a little bit of luck, but it was also a lot of choices that I made and sacrifices sure. 
I made and prioritizing that I made. And almost everybody has that kind of story that we, we, we had some good fortune for sure. Um, sure. But, uh, but we also made some, some decisions that were important for getting us where we are. So speaking of that, I mean, uh, I, I can just see from your demeanor that you're like me, that, that, that you can't imagine really doing anything else. It's such a great life and lifestyle. But, but tell us, what, what is it that you most enjoy about this lifestyle that you have? Well, I tell you, um, I am not a person for an office. If you sit me in an office for one and two days, uh, you better call a doctor or um, or you better get me in some uh, mental health place. And I'm true. I mean, <laughs> I really mean it. Yeah. Um, I need to be outside. Uh, I had a very hard story when I was a child. And uh, part of that, just to not go in deep with that, I was told that I was never going to walk again on my legs. Wow. I, uh, yeah, I had a very, very great two accidents in my childhood, and the second one was terrible. And um, when the doctor said that, I just told him, I'm going to walk on my legs, I'm going to go to the mountains, and I'm going to take people to see the mountains. And the very day it happened, um, and uh, I stayed in touch with him, and I sent him photos of my hikes and all the stuff, and he loved them, like uh, he printed them, and he put it under the glass of his desk, and he has this because we did the work together he put all his knowledge and uh i put all my will <laughs> so after that it's like i can't just be working in an office uh being a beautiful world outside and uh once i met patagonia i got in love of patagonia and i say okay this is my place this is where this is where i want to be a guide mm. so um this is how it happens wow. um was a great challenge for me the um coast was amazing and uh, but once I'm here, it's like um, I'm not gonna quit yet. <laughs> That's a fantastic story. I'm glad we stumbled onto that. What what a great inspiration that is. Uh, uh, thank thank you for sharing that. It, well, and, and it sounds like that that was your it was your destiny to end to end up where you are. Absolutely, I believe uh, it. I really believe it. Yeah. Okay, but now I'm going to ask a tougher question. Is there is there a side of this life that is uh, a challenge for you? What what is it that you least enjoy about your life? Well, um, I'm not sure about that question. Um, you know, some like every job, you always have a hard day. Sometimes you do have a hard group. Like when you live in a group, you are the only person who cannot have a headache. You cannot have a bad day. You cannot be sick. Um, you know, you are the only person who is working. And it's like people, people's holidays are in your shoulders. And you really need to be there for them. They need you. I mean, they paid a lot of money for you to be there. So, you know, to wake up a morning and say, well, guys, uh, I don't feel very well is not an answer. Right. Um, and sometimes, I mean, I've been doing those hikes to these beautiful mountains with headaches, with a migraine, with a, any single pain you can imagine, with a twisted angle. Once I had an accident and I twist my ankle and I did the hikes anyway. Um, sometimes it's risk. I mean, I take my risk, but I know when to stop um, because, you know, I am responsible for all that people. So uh, there is a limit that I, if I have to say, guys, this is it, I can't no more, I will. 
but you know, I mean, you put all your energy and sometimes it's not enough. Um, sometimes uh, it's like, it's very hard. Like if, if I am a tourist and I go traveling, this is a backpack that you take with you, the backpack of your life, the problems you are carrying with you, the things who, uh, that you cannot take off of yourself and you don't see it. And sometimes just throw all that into somebody's shoulder and normally this is us and mm. um, but one day i understood that probably i am the only person they can do that with and uh it turns like a little patient and listen because maybe they that's what they need somebody to listen and somebody to tell a word who give hope or to um or to make them see the things in a different way and so it's very hard to say what is, you know, um, always something happened. You need to have plans C, D, E, F for everything. It's like uh, plan B could not be enough. You need at least four or five. So it's all the time thinking what, what can happen later and be ready for that. Um, what I can tell is it's a very free job but the cost could be very, very hard. It cost me already two relationships um, because you're never there and you cannot tell the person to wait there for you. So, you know, there's many things around that you have to deal with. And then you look to your back and you say, I did all this fight, what for? I mean, I arrived here fighting all, so I have two choices. Should I keep going or should I, look for other thing and until now my answer is come on let's keep going <laughs> so i hope that answer your question oh I, I was just about to say another great answer um you know i think of course there are downsides to our job but sure. um, uh what, what i try to remind myself is whatever headaches i'm having uh tough tour members or you know train strike or whatever they're they're what we would call first world problems, you know? I mean, in India, people are dying right now because right. of COVID, right? And and I'm I'm upset because we have to wait two hours longer than I expected to, come on, you know? And, and I think part of our job is to get that across too, to everybody is sure. life isn't perfect, things don't go well perfectly every time. Um, all right, so let's let's talk a little bit about the resource. What What is your, um, you know, apart from your, the, the image you have behind you, what, what's your favorite place to take people in Patagonia? Well, this is one of the areas I can tell could be my, my, my top one. Um, in the area, you have also the uh, Fitzroy, which is fantastic. The hikes are very nice. Um, the town, the town is great something i love is like uh you and the hike just getting into the town and the main street is full of uh breweries and good restaurants and so i love to maybe stop with a group to have a beer like do we have to go to the hotel yet come on guys we've been that, walking the whole day is that calafate that you're referring to or is there some other oh uh, it's named chalten but yes it's like 200 k's to the north of calafate okay um it's like Calafate is the gateway for all those places. Right. Um, most of the tours 
you land in Calafate and you take three hours transfer to this place named uh, El Chalten. Um, and the place is it's just a little town. They might have something like uh, 1500 habitants. Uh, and, but you know, you go in season in the main street and you see all those backpackers and hikers and climbers going and coming and give you that sense that, well, I mean, if somebody's dressed in a tie, they don't believe to this town. Um, everyone goes for mountain, everyone loves what they do, uh, is hiking all around, so it's a fantastic place uh, to see. Also, there are some places um, like in winter, a place which is not very visit for foreigners, like the kind of tourism we're doing, is named uh, Port Maidrin, and they have the um, uh, whale season in winter, so you have the Franca whale, and also they have one of the um, biggest uh, penguins nesting area in South America. So, and it's all very near, um, a great area to see too. So um, something which is fantastic is you do kayak and the whales are just swimming behind you. So it's a great place to go. I haven't been there for longer and I'm very wishing. Um, it is another place because I love to uh, see wildlife. Uh, named Port Desire, uh, Puerto Deseado, the name in Spanish, but the original name was Port Desire in English. Um, and they have a uh, geographic accident who used to be the river, but when the river loses uh, the strength of water, the currents, the sea came inside. So you are like going in a boat ride or kayaking between two walls of rock, with, with um, the water of the ocean full of cormorants of different species, penguins all around. If you take a bow, you have the dolphins just jumping next to you. It's like uh, the, some people in the town consider the place like a uh, little Galapagos. Um, so that's also one of my favorite places. I've been there like one or two times and uh, I'm wishing I could be back there. Now, obviously, those are two places that are on the coast of Argentina, but, but geographically, north-south, how far down are they? Well, um, the first one is in the coast of Argentina to the north, in the Patagonian coast. Okay. And the second one is like, we can almost make a straight line from Calafate to the ocean and oh. could be a bit upper. Um, so more or less to give an idea, where would that be? Okay. So like, halfway down, just roughly. Yeah. More or less, yes. For, for, for our, our viewers, I know where Calafate is, but for our viewers, we'll just say halfway down. Just that was that was just a curiosity. So <laughs> um, so uh, what about now now okay, let's 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 go beyond Patagonia. Let's just say Argentina in general. Is there um, uh, what what would be your, the next thing that people should absolutely not miss in Argentina? Well, this a destiny which uh, who is growing a lot. Uh, that was one of the lands of um, Douglas Tompkins. Well, now the area used to be a lot of farms around, but most of them are turning into a tourism. This is a wetland area, which is named Esteros del Ibera. Ibera is a native word from the uh, Guarani culture, and it means uh, brighty water. And this place could have maybe the best sunsets you could see in your life. And the reflection on the water is fantastic. So you get uh, like very yellow and reddish 
uh, amazing sunsets. It's like a little Everglades in the middle of the north of Argentina, hmm. uh, full of uh, uh, at least two kinds of uh, caimans, lots of birds, uh, great wildlife all around, and it's just wetlands. Um, depending the area you go, you can really do different activities, like some of the farmers they take you to take the cattle to the other place and they used to make the cattle swim uh, swim on the on those um esteros as they call those uh, uh, uh waterlands um it's a place fantastic uh, to see wildlife uh place i like a lot then well of course you know the iwasu falls are amazing uh the good thing is you can do two countries uh and you just need two days to do it so you can do uh, one half day in Brazil and one full day in Argentina. I don't like to put the border in the middle. I present the area to my people all the time, like Iguazu Republic. Right. Okay. Right. Because in that area, we work together with Brazilians and it's like the border make division. And we really do a great work together as two countries. And the good thing is if you, erase the line is like you don't think what is better Argentina or Brazil come on it's Iguazu will be incredible from both of the sides and the thing is you cannot do one without the other if you there come on do both it's just one more day just have one more day yeah. uh, in fact many people goes to do Brazil in the morning and then they take the plane back to Rio de Janeiro because how easy it is to see it yeah yeah, and, and after all, a border is just a, really an arbitrary line on a map somewhere, right? It's uh, it it culturally speaking, ethnically speaking, linguistically speaking, it probably make, you know, makes no difference whatsoever. Um, I've been fortunate. I've, I've seen Niagara Falls in, here in the United States, and I've been to Victoria Falls in Africa a number of times. But for the people that I know that have seen all three, they say Iguazu is the waterfall right is is that it is the most spectacular do you do you want to weigh in on that uh that ranking well i tell you a thing um we always have a favorite like i've been in uh niagara when i was a child and i still re uh, remembering the falls uh, i saw them from the canadian side but i still have to see it from north america you can say come on it's the same waterfall yes but if you change uh, if you see the street for the corn, uh, from the um, walk side of the front, you will see different buildings, right? And it's the same street. So um, the view, the point of view changes. Um, so I think it's, uh, you have to do both. I wish I could see Victoria Falls. So for me, um, I do not know if I would have a favorite. Um, if you listen what people feels, you know, sometimes people is just traveling around South America and what they really love is Iguazu. But then they go to Torres del Paine. Chile is a great place to see from south to north. There is no place in Chile that you will say, I will, uh, I don't want to see it. You just go for it. They have a beautiful portion of the continent. Brazil is fantastic. I mean, South America is a place to come and travel around. Uh, and wherever you go, you will be amazed of the food, of the people. You will be amazed of the landscapes you will have around. So if you've never been in South America and you can do a full trip in South America, you will have a great experience. 
Yeah. And yeah, I, I like asking these sort of questions, but they're absolutely just for fun. You know, I mean, Please. everybody can have their own opinion and it's just, it's fun to, to compare, but, but I'm excited. I'm kind of a waterfall guy. My, my daughter makes fun of me because I always want to hike the waterfalls and stuff. She usually enjoys them once we get there, but um, she would say that, that this is a, a special niche interest of mine. So I'm, I'm excited to complete the, the, the trifecta and see the, the big three. But I also someday want to get to Venezuela and go see Angel Falls, but which yeah. I, I understand is quite difficult, but to, to the logistics, but that's, that's one of those things um, that I want to do sometime, sometime in the future. Um, I want to do that. Um, now, of course, on, on Wednesday, we're going to talk more about photography, and I'm sure you're going to show, share some of your, some of your sure. work viewers um but uh, very briefly just for our discussion today how have you integrated that interest into your into your work into your guiding well uh, it was another thing that wasn't plain uh when i start to understand that i love tourism that my life was in touch with tourism when i was a child i used to do a lot of camping and um and backpacking it's like I have two big influence and they are both uh, my, my brothers. We are five. I mean, four um, males and one female, which is my little sister. But let's say that the first one and the third, I am the fourth, the, the first one and the third, they used to do a lot of camping. So the first one, the bigger one, he's more like a, um, a romantic for camping. Like, uh, he likes the style, you know, uh, um, what means camping. And the other was more for adventure, for fishing. And they were, I can tell about traveling and camping and somehow my mentors. So it's like, I think I keep uh, from both of them, the romanticism of what means traveling and go camping and the adventure for maybe fishing because that's gonna be our food or uh, um, you know the weather or whatever thing is going to uh, to be around of that uh, trip. Uh, when I decided I wanted to be working in tourism related with the national parks, especially and protected areas, uh, saw a book uh, of the Amazon jungle, um, and I bought the book because for me it was incredible. The book was just a tour guide of the. Um, uh, of, of, of the jungle, and I saw a photo in the middle of a jaguar. And I looked to my brother and I told him, listen, I will study photography and this is what I want to do. But it was going to be only a tool for my biologics, we can tell. Mm -hmm. um, but once I start to get in touch with black and white to um, develop the uh, uh, films, um, and I start to do the stuff at home, then I have a friend and we were hunting opportunities every weekend to go to take pictures to events in the street. Uh, and we took it very personal. It was very important for us in that time. Uh, I discovered a different word and for me start to mean everything. Uh, so it's like after that, um, it was a time that I have a kind of obsession for uh, the photo to whatever I was watching was uh, like um, potential imagine for a great picture. Uh, so 
that was like a great asset for me. I mean, uh, that really, really gave a lot of sense to my life and I wasn't expecting for that. I just thought I was gonna pick the camera with me and sometimes get a good photo. But with time, I just love it. For me to travel with the camera in my hand, sometimes I even guide with the camera in my hand because once I get free time, I just want to go to take that beautiful pic I am thinking. And uh, then I just wish I could get back home to print it. So this is how it starts. Mm -hmm. I, I know I'm I'm not a real photographer, but I, um, I I'd say I'm better than the typical snapshot point and shoot guy. Um, and when I have a group where there are four or five or six people that are really passionate about photography, it just it adds to the tour. Actually, for everybody, for the most, uh, but but you know those a, a handful of people like that. Are willing to get up early in the morning and and maybe hire a taxi to get out and get some dawn photographs or or after dinner uh, jump in a tuk tuk to go to a UTA because they've illuminated the monuments there and I just I love tagging along just for the energy and the fun and and in the hopes that uh, that I can get a good shot here and there as well so um, I, I find that it really adds something fun uh, to the tours. Um, so um, I don't. This this might be a tough question, but but how is how is travel in Argentina different than other countries? Is that something you can comment on? With the time, I've been finding different things. Um, I never found Argentina like tough to travel. It is in big cities a lot of care to take because big cities you find some danger. Uh, it's like it's not common that somebody come with a knife to steal you, but they take your attention there in your wallet right there. So they're very, very quick to steal backpacks and stuff. Um, in fact, one of the things once I have an experience in Brazil that uh, my, uh, we went to a restaurant and uh, the kids from the street came to steal the restaurant. And uh, fortunately, I just before leave gave a, um, a safety briefing and everybody knew what to do. So we have nothing to be stolen with. And those kids came around to the table and they didn't find anything. Mm -hmm. And when they left, they told me, you made this happen. And I was shocked because, I mean, uh, you know, you never expect a restaurant to be robbed with all your tourists inside. I mean, right. I come a lot to this place and never something like this happened. I was terrified but then they say i mean uh you made it safe yeah. so you know i could never realize if they didn't tell me that i was just doing my job right. but then sometimes you understand how important it is to follow a little rule right because i do it for them but maybe i don't do it for me right right you know i mean that's pretty amazing and high praise, right? From the thieves themselves. Yeah. <laughs> a strange accolade there. Um, you know, I, I almost hate to branch off to this next subject, but I, I, we, I think it's important. We talk a little bit about COVID-19 and uh, the pandemic and how are, uh, I have to be honest, I, I'm not, I've not been paying attention to Patagonia, to Chile and Argentina, uh, how things are going there. So uh, from your perspective, um, how is that issue progressing in Argentina? How has been the response? Um, we'll tell you what I see. 
uh, I don't really watch TV. I think TV is very toxic. So normally I love to get into the movies and some of the news in the internet. But um, what I've been watching around of me, the government took lots of, um, uh, let's say, protocols for COVID-19. Um, and we did have some season, like internal tourism season, like Argentines could be traveling around the country. I haven't seen too much tourists around. Uh, once you get to the airport, I mean, before you leave home, you might get to a website, you have to fill up a form. In that form, you have to, um, uh, how is, oh, my English is gone. Uh, but you have to just add also your uh, your uh, uh, negative PCR. So this paper will not come to your email until you don't add your PCR and uh, the negative one. You have to print it and go to the airport with that. Once you get to Argentina, somebody take those papers and they send you to make another uh, uh, PCR in the local airport once you arrive and you have to pay for it. So uh, that thing can take a lot more but at least they are making the best possible to make COVID not still coming into the country. Right. So you don't leave the airport until you have the results of your, of, of your test. Uh, so if yours is positive, they just send you to a hotel uh, with a doctor and you will have to take all the, uh, the costs. And if you are like, if you didn't show any, I mean, you're negative, you have to go home, but you have to do quarantine for 10 more days. Uh -huh. So at this moment, we're trying to see what's gonna happen with the groups, because if you are like two days in a country, how is that going to move, right? Maybe if I'm traveling in Patagonia, they will leave, probably we're not going to be able to make a PCR two days before because we'll be on hike. So all of these things, we're still trying to figure out how are they going to happen. How is it? How is it affecting the local population, though? Is 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 that battle being won? Are things moving in the right direction? Uh, I will say yes and no. Um, it happened this way. There's a lot of people who they win what they work in a day. They don't really have a job. They just look opportunities. They make a little money during the day and they go back home. So if you tell them to be at home for 15 days, no working, you have two choices. Or you go to the street and you die with COVID or you stay at home and you die hunger because you couldn't get money enough to buy food for your family. So it's very hard to keep people at home when you have a lot of poverty in a population that needs to go out for get a little money, for get a little food to their homes. Uh, this, this was like probably the first challenge um in the local population then well restaurants were shut for longer so the government started to see the way of how to open them so they start to look for the ones who have a little roof or the ones who can have the chairs and the tables up in the um, uh, walk sites and just a few people in you cannot have more than uh, let's say um, imagine 30 percent of uh, your uh, real capacity so they try to make things go. If you go to a shop to buy something, you probably uh, go in the door and say, oh, give me that one and that, that, and you cannot go inside to the shop. 
you have to do everything from outside. So they are trying to do the best possible for keep economy going mm -hmm. and, uh, and the uh, curve to keep going down, which is the hardest. Yeah. And is there, is there, uh, is there vaccine production and distribution going on there in Argentina? Are they, do they have it is. going? It is going on. Uh, lots of, I mean, I can say very big part of the population has already the first shot. And uh, I, many of them are already the second, but we can tell that a lot of people already had at least one shot, which is a good thing. Um, in the news, I can see sometimes, like in the uh, social media, like there is a plane coming with, uh, no, I don't know, like uh, some thousand of millions of vaccines to the country. Then you really don't know what they do and how they do it. Uh, I haven't seen like a control of we have vaccinated uh, this much of population. I haven't seen it yet. But you talk with people, they say, oh, I already had the vaccine, which is like a great thing for them. Um, and people who are still thinking like, no, I'm not going to get it because I don't know, um, you know, maybe they will get like, uh, I have a friend who uh, made this um, joke who made me laugh a lot uh, about in February, um, I, I, I went to the States and I didn't really think about but i just went to a pharmacy to uh buy some stuff and uh, the, a doctor in the pharmacy says hey come here get vaccinated all right <laughs> and, and and i've got a shot so uh the same happened to a colleague of mine who was right there and he just came uh, i asked him hey did you have the shot and he started to say something like vote for biden vote for biden <laughs> well so just to show me that he got the shot <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who was like a uh, very, very, very didn't funny. Know that kind of news was getting out of the country. So, uh, <laughs> um, you know, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap us up here because I know we're gonna have you on uh, again a couple more times this week, uh, um, Luciano. And um, uh, I want to just say to our uh, viewers that I have. This is one of those days that even though you see me checking, looking down every once in a while and checking, I could not see if there were any comments or questions coming in. Um, I'll follow up with that when we're done here. Uh, and again, uh, we're going to be having Javier on tomorrow with Luciano. We're going to be doing some grilling. We got photography and birding and tango coming up this week, as well as the PowerPoint presentation. So I hope you can tune in again, or as you know, you can always come and watch the recording if, uh, if you're unable to watch live. Um, before we let uh, Luciano go, when there, whenever there's time, I like to uh, just ask uh, something strictly for fun and has nothing serious to do with travel. So um, if you could meet any historical figure, anybody from history, who would that be and, and why? Um, I think it could be Jesus. Jesus, okay. Yep. I think um, uh, I read a lot of the Bible and I take it not as something religious. I think there is a lot of very great teachings up there. And um, it's like, uh, I consider him a man who tried to change the world with love and not with guns or not with uh, any, I mean, he said, you could do this or that you choose, you know, and um, this is where I feel when I read. 
but if I could ever meet somebody, it'll be him. Okay, I love that answer. Um, what What's the first thing you would ask him? Well, that's a great question. Um, maybe something who gets me crazy. I love geology. I don't really, I, I, I do not know I have any great idea of, just very, very basic. But maybe I will love to see how the world was made. Okay, shoot, that can be shoot one for of... the moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. No pun intended, right? Uh, Show me okay. the galaxy or something like that, yeah. Okay, Luciano, thank you again so much for uh, coming on and spending this time with us and sharing about your sharing your passion for Patagonia, for Argentina and the travel world down there. Really look forward to the rest of the week and learning more from you uh, about your country. Um, to all of our viewers, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Reed Cohen of Imprint Tours. Uh, I want you to keep on traveling, even if it's virtually as with the programs that we've been producing. Um, I, I believe Sarah, I know Sarah's coming home uh, tomorrow, but it's probably going to be me all week. So I apologize for that. Um, so keep on traveling and travel with intent. Luciano, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye, everyone.